0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Justin, and I am the youth pastor here at Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church. And yeah, we are super excited about Freddie getting baptized. That was awesome. Uh, I had an opportunity to watch that uh, through some video footage on Saturday morning, and it was a little uh, laggy. The actual, like, baptism lagged out, so it was just like he was dry, and then he was wet, and it was, he was hugging his dad, and it was beautiful. It was awesome. So very thankful for them. Um, but this morning... I. I'm going to start off by sharing uh, this vivid memory that I have from when I was in grade seven. I remember sitting at my desk, and I was in a school that had two stories, so there was like, we were on the upper floor in our grade seven class. And I'm sitting at my desk, the teacher is out of the room, and two guys walk up to my desk, they grab my calculator, they walk over to the window, open the window, and throw my calculator out the window. And of course, falls down to the concrete and smashes on the ground. And that was just one of many interactions I had with those couple of guys. I don't know why they started bullying me. I can't remember if anything instigated that. I assume not. But over the year, it continued to escalate and get worse and worse with these guys. To the point where I had enough courage to try to talk to my mom and dad about it. And I told them what was going on. And they told me, you know, don't worry about what they're saying, like, just ignore what they're doing and just try not to pay attention to them, which of course didn't really work that well. Uh, And then they said, well, maybe if you try to push back a little bit and, you know, if they see that it's not so easy, if they get a little bit back, then maybe they'll stop. So armed with that, I went to school and they insulted me and I just fired insults right back. And they just laughed, they didn't care. And so my insults got more vicious. And their insults got more vicious. And things continued to escalate faster until the point where my parents, I think, called uh, the principal and the teacher. And there was a big meeting that was held with the principal, the teacher, uh, the parents that were involved, and uh, all the students that were involved. And as a young grade seven student, that was absolutely mortifying to be the tattletale that's called this, caused this big meeting, thinking it's just going to get worse. Uh, but, to be fair, it actually got better. It actually did help uh, significantly, and so it kind of almost reset things, but it didn't stop things. And they continued to build and, and get worse, and just continued on for years as we went through school together. Uh, and They got more friends, and then there was more of them piling on me in, in terms of those, uh, the insults and things. Things got more physical, as we went through the years, and my comments and insults got more savage. Because the thing with bullies is, people bully other people because they are dreadfully insecure. They're dreadfully insecure, and so then they, they take that insecurity and they lash out at others, and when they hurt other people, and bullying, like, this is not just like, you know, playground bullies and giving you wedgies and stuff. Like, this could be, you could have a, you could have a uh, somebody in your family who just makes a ton of passive r- aggressive comments towards you. Like, there's all kinds of bullying, right? But but when they do that, they do it out of a place of insecurity, and when they do that to somebody, then that person becomes insecure as well. And then that person then can often turn around and become a bully as well. So the bullied become bullies because of these this insecurity cycle, uh, and this happens in abusive relationships and all sorts of things. Um, and I think that one of my biggest regrets from that time was that one of the guys who was bullying me, he had this uh, a facial tick, and he would blink un- like uncontrollably and often. And it was like some unconscious thing he did, couldn't help it. But as I was looking for ways to get back at these guys for hurting me so much, that was one of the things I lashed onto. And that was one of the things I just made fun of relentlessly to try to get back at these guys and looking back I cannot imagine the amount of emotional damage I did to that guy even though he never let on, he never tried to show it Uh, but what I was doing, that was brutal and not everyone becomes a bully, right? not everybody, you know, goes on to just lash out at others sometimes they do the opposite, they recluse But everybody feels insecure. Everybody in this room, we all feel insecure about things. Uh, And the reason that those things make us insecure when people, like, attack them is is, like, it's because we put our identity in all kinds of things. So things like the way we look and the things that we wear and the things that we're good at or the things that we really enjoy doing. We put our identity or get our identity from those things. So when a bully attacks those things, they're not just arbitrarily attacking things. They're they're, they're actually attacking things that you get your very identity from. And it stings. And in our world, we get our identity from all kinds of different things. Our social status, like where you fit on the social chain, Uh, our relationship status, things we do for work, Uh, our clothes, our social media, our grades in school, if we're an expert on certain topics, uh, being on the up and up with the latest news or what we'd call gossip, right? Uh, Maybe it's celebrity gossip or political gossip, right? But you just, you're good at being in the know on things. You know, what phone you have, what roles you have, how much you know compared to others, how many people you sit with at lunch, what sports you're good at, how much weight you can lift, how good of a parent you are, uh, how much of a rebel you are, how socially aware you are, how socially tolerant you are, how socially intolerant you are. All of these things are things that we latch onto and try to find purpose and meaning in our lives. And we try to find ways that make us unique from others. Or more like a certain group we're trying to identify with, you know, uh, that we're fans with, Um, you know, whatever it is that we relate to our identity, those things then lead us to brag and boast about those things, because we flaunt them because they give us our identity, and so we are, you know, we might be really like up and up. I don't know. It might be something like comic book knowledge. You might be like, you know, comic book buff, and you just brag about how much you know about comic books, because that gives you a sense of purpose and identity and, and that makes you feel good, and so you baunt, uh, flaunt that at other people. And then when you see other people who might threaten that a little bit, you try to tear them down so that you feel a little bit better. And then at the same time, whatever it is, you know, you might be a good salesperson or, or a good parent, or but whatever it is, when somebody threatens those things, it it. it, it It threatens us because we all also live with this, like, imposter syndrome, right? Where you think, yeah, I'm good at a lot of things, but I know I'm not the best at those things. I'm really good looking, but I'm not the best looking. Uh, You know, I'm I'm a good parent, but I'm not the best parent. I'm uh, really good at my job, but I'm not the best at my job. There's somebody could replace me. And we live with this imposter syndrome, and so we realize we're not entirely unique. And so when somebody threatens or exposes that, then, of course, we fight back. Or the opposite, right? All of this is true with the opposite. So you might recoil. It's sort of the fight or flight thing. You might recoil and, and, you know, you might be like, well, I'm really ugly and somebody just said I'm ugly and, like, I totally believe it. And and you pull back and you become depression, uh, go into depression or something like that. But sadly, everybody deals with this stuff. Everybody. Every age and stage of life. And so it's not surprising then that God in his word talks about the solution for this problem. And you've probably read the verses before, and today we're going to look at one of the verses uh, in John chapter 15. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. There's Bibles in front of you or on your phone. I really encourage you to just have have the verse in front of you. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, I think it's in the insert as well, uh, the bulletin this morning. Um, Yeah, and I'll talk about it as you kind of find it there. But John chapter 15, this chapter takes place at the Last Supper, And this is just after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. They've eaten, washed the disciples' feet. And then he sits and has this discourse with his followers. And it's this, like, huge chunk from, like, chapter 13 to 17, I think. And it's excellent. If you have some time to just read through John chapter 13 to 17, just to see what Jesus is thinking and and hear some of these thoughts he has before he goes to his crucifixion, it's an excellent, excellent time uh, if you're looking for somewhere to spend, uh, somewhere to, a place in Scripture to spend your time this week, uh, that's an excellent choice. But right in the middle of that is John chapter 15, and this is the passage where he talks about the the vine and the branches. And he says, like my followers, if you're following Jesus, you're like uh, branches, and I'm the vine that the branches are attached to, Jesus, and my Father, God, is the, the vine dresser, the caretaker of the vineyard, right? And so he has this illustration, and the whole passage has these like big implications all the way through it, right? He says, if you abide, and some translations will say you remain in me, like attached to the vine, then you're going to bear fruit, right? And if you bear fruit, then and it's good fruit, like then you'll stay in me, and the Father will prune you so that you bear more fruit. Well, that has a big implication, right? Like, what does it mean as a believer to be pruned by the Father so that you can bear more fruit? Uh, and then it says, if you are not abiding in Jesus, you'll fall to the ground and wither and be thrown into the fire. And that has a big implication attached to it as well. And so there's, uh, you know, and as Christians, if you abide, there's blessings, like your relationship with the Father changes to be more of a friendship, um, where we can say Abba Father and all that, and it's excellent. But we're going to read it together, and then we'll talk about how it applies to this conversation. Starting in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This next verse is important. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We'll pause there. So when we ask the question... What does it mean to abide in Christ? Like, what does it actually mean to remain attached to the vine? Like, tangibly. Well, the answer is there in verse 10. He says, keep my commandment. So, if you it says, keep, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So, what is Jesus' command? Well, it says in the very next verse. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So he tells you exactly what it is. If you want to abide, you have to uh, keep my commandments. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And remember, he's saying this to a room full of his followers, his disciples, telling them to love each other. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So that last verse, he says, the whole focus of this is Jesus is telling this to his disciples to love one another. He's trying to encourage them to love one another. And so Jesus' commands can be summed up like this throughout the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Everything that you are. And then love your neighbor just as you love yourself. Right? These, These commands, this is what Jesus is talking about. Um, When we do these two things, love God and love others, we are abiding in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, you become more like Jesus. You become more Christ-like. And your identity is that of Christ. He becomes your identity. So, what that means is that instead of putting your identity and getting your identity from all of these other things, right, instead of worrying about how cool you are or how much money you have or how good you look, instead, as you abide in Christ, you start to care about the things that he cares about. You start to care about the things that the Father cares about because your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone, just like the song we just sung. So what does that translate to in real life? If you decide, okay, I want to abide in Christ, I'm going to love God and love others, but what is that going to make of me? Am I going to be this weirdo that's just like, you know, like, like Christians I hear about and that sort of thing? What does that actually look like? Does it actually affect my life in some way to actually be obedient to Jesus' commands? Well, there's a ton of ways that it affects your life. And we're going to talk about just a few today, um, but here's how it might play out in your life. And the first one's an obvious one, that as you obey Christ, as you you love God and love others, uh, you become more faithful to the Lord. And what that means is that you have a better sense, as we follow God, we become more faithful, we have a better sense of what we're supposed to do with our day-to-day life. We have a better understanding of what the things God calls us to do because we are learning and understanding about Him. And so we also see these blessings throughout this passage that God talks about. You know, they talk about how he says, I'm going to call you friend. Uh, later on, he says, you get to like, re- react to God like Abba, Father. That means like Daddy. So instead of going to the, to the creator of all and saying, oh, holy, holy King of lords, and, you know, King of kings, lords of lords, and, and, you know, I humbly prostrate myself in front of you, he says you get to go up to him and be like, Daddy. So yes, God is holy and our King of Kings, but we also have this intimate relationship with the King of Kings. And then it says, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These are blessings that come from our faithfulness because God sees that our desires line up with his desires and he will give you all of those things because they're also his desires. The second thing is that we love others more. If you're going to do this, if you're going to abide in Christ, it means you love others more. And what that means is that everybody around you in your sphere of influence gets to experience what it's like to be loved by you. And that's awesome. They get to experience you being intentional to the people around you and pouring an effort to the people around you. And that's a beautiful thing. And then the people that you're around, other Christians, they're going to do the same thing and so you also get to experience much of this love from other people. And this is fantastic. This is, you know, growing into the Christian community, the Christian family that that Jesus calls us to be. And so, you know, it starts off, like, say, on a Sunday morning. Like, we just greeted each other. We said hi to each other. And that's a beautiful thing. That's like making sure that everybody who walks in that door at least has one point of contact with another person, you know, that's really positive and they shake hands or say hi. And there's this great moment of just feeling connected and making sure everybody feels like they belong. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. But it doesn't stop there, right? From there, like imagine being, you know, if you're, if you're new to the church or, you know, trying to get connected, it, that can't be it. So then from there, it's like going out for lunch after church, right? Or maybe uh, coffee throughout the week. And then you talk to each other and you get to know each other a bit and you find out, oh, this person is in need. Oh, they, they need some help with their kids. I can totally help with their kids. Or, or oh, they're building this thing. I can help build that thing. Or they're, uh, you know, needing some emotional support. And then so you, you start to, to grow together and meet each other's needs. And then you bear each other's burdens. And you cry with each other when you need somebody to cry with. And, and, and then you celebrate together, you know, all of life's great, amazing things that happen. And you rejoice together as, as a church family. And this is beautiful. And then you go on to, like, raise your kids together. And whatever, all those things that happen that really is what it means to be part of the body of Christ and to be a church family. You get to experience because you are abiding in Christ more. Um, And then, as you're doing that, you're going to take more risks in your faith. You're going to look for opportunities that you wouldn't normally look for. And, you know, so you're going to say, okay, how can I serve my church family? What kinds of things can I do to really help? Where does my church family need assistance that I have gifts, talents, and abilities that I can help with? And sometimes, you know, just need a warm body to move. Something or like whatever it is, but finding ways that you can help, and you do that, and you find new ways to serve together and to love others uh, before, of course, going out and loving the world. And also, as we abide in Christ, then we put our identity in Him. And as we put our identity in Christ, then we get to experience more freedom and peace in our life. And I was thinking about that when I was making this list, and I thought, okay, freedom and peace, that's cool. But they're so, like, cliche words. We say them so much. Uh, you know, so I don't, I'm not like world peace. Like, it's peace and freedom means something in your life. Like, it really has tangible, tangible benefits. Like, when a person is not abiding in Christ, when a person is, is putting their identity in all of these other things there, the way they, they look, how good they are at their job, you know, whatever it is, and they bring their identity together, And they're getting, you know, their sense of meaning and purpose from that. Well, when sin comes into the picture, which it is present, it wreaks havoc. When somebody else sins and tears you down, or you tear yourself down, or you fail at something, you know, you're not as good as you once thought you were in this thing, or that imposter syndrome wreaks havoc because of your sin, all of that happens, it just destroys people. And it's awful. You've, we've all experienced it, right? Like, this is what happens. They feel, as my mother would say, wrong, bad, stupid, and ugly. And this is hard. But what is it for Christians who are abiding in Christ? For a Christian who abides in Christ, what happens when they sin? If your identity is in Christ, then you are forgiven, And you have to believe that. You have to understand that. It doesn't matter if you sin tomorrow or the next day or how serious your sin is. You are forgiven. You are literally set free from the the weight that the sin has. There is not a place for the shame and condemnation on the Christian. The Christian should not walk around and go, oh, they're right. I'm not good enough. Oh, I screwed up again. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Like we don't have a place for that in the Christian worldview. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. We don't condemn ourselves. So abiding in Christ means we can't let ourselves be chained by the shame that comes from condemnation. For the Christian, when we sin, here's what happens. We sin, we make a mistake. And what's sin? We're, we're no longer following God, loving God with everything we are. We're not, say, loving His created order or created, created things. And we're not loving others. And we've sinned. We're not doing that. The Holy Spirit convicts us, lets us know that, hey, what you're doing, it's not okay. You've just hurt somebody. You've just insulted the Lord. Like, whatever it is, you've, you've not done these things. You need to stop. And we go, oh. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And we course correct. We, we've made a mistake, we repent, and we start doing these two things again. And then we ask for forgiveness if we've hurt somebody, or maybe we have to offer forgiveness. Uh, we take some intentional steps to move forward in that, in doing these two things and doing them well. And then we get to move forward in the freedom of forgiveness. What we can't do is shame ourselves and heap on guilt and shame onto ourselves. But we move forward in that freedom, understanding our mistakes, and then we strive to live differently. In Christ, we have life, and we have it abundantly. For those who don't understand that, they live in this state of condemnation. And they, they feel like, oh, I've been so like, bad at doing what's right. I'm not doing the right thing all the time, so I'm trying. And, you know, stupid, stupid, stupid. If they're living that kind of life, and they bear all of that then they're going to become those finger-waggers that say, oh, you know, how dare you? You didn't do that thing. They're the judgmental people that, you know, condemn everybody else because they're not living in the freedom. They're not going to let anybody else live in the freedom either. Oh, you think you're so, you know, no, no, you you are not allowed to do that. And it makes other people insecure when they do that. When they say, oh, no, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do this thing. It's so terrible of you. How dare you? then they're spreading that misery to others. And then those people become insecure about those things, and then they become finger-waggers at other people, and the cycle continues, and the bully to become the bullies. One guy I heard online, he said that when other people spread hate towards you, rather than making you angry, you should have empathy for them. And I love that. Rather than lashing out, you should consider just how hurt And how bad that person's life must be that they would take one minute of their time to comment and criticize something about you. Being filled with empathy helps us to have a perspective. It helps us to pause and not just be overwhelmed by those negative comments, but to to pray. And then to act in a way that's loving, even to our enemies. You know, after three years of being bullied, I became a Christian in the summer of grade 9 and grade 10. Before that, I was depressed and I was vicious. After I became a Christian, I learned that Jesus wanted me to love everybody, including my enemies. So I knew that my approach had to change. So my go-to response to these guys that were constantly, and like I said, there was more of them by this point, um, went from lashing out insults at them to, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you. I kid you not. I would say that over and over to them. And as you can imagine, (laughs) that did not go over well. Uh, And so they continued to get worse for a bit, uh, but I just kept doing it. They kept trying to make fun of me, but you know what? I legitimately just stopped caring. All I cared about was who I was in Christ. They would tease me for the way I looked, the way I talked, and sometimes they would just shove me, and it just stopped mattering to me. What mattered was how I was living my faith every day. Was I being kind to them back? Was I holding my temper in and giving that over to the Lord, saying, I'm so mad right now, what do I do? And just giving that to God instead of lashing out with it? Was I being a faithful ambassador to Christ to those guys? I stopped hearing what they thought my identity was, and I started listening to who Christ said my identity was. And each year, as we went through the rest of high school, it got better and better and better, to the point where by the time I graduated, Every single one of those guys, with the exception of one, every single one of them we were, like, friendly with. Like, I would have friend, like legitimate friendly conversation, wishing well to each other, slapping each other on the back kind of conversations. Every single person, except that one guy with the blinking and the facial tick, even after sincerely apologizing to him and asking for forgiveness, which he just insulted me back. Uh, he never, he never came around. And the last time I saw him, uh, I was walking through my hometown, and he was in the back, sitting in the back of a pickup truck with his buddies in the Dairy Queen parking lot, hurling insults at me. It sounded like he had been drinking, and I just turned and said, "I love you, man. I'm still praying for you. Hope things go well for you." And that was the last time I saw him, and I don't blame him. how much hurt I probably did to him I want you to imagine for a moment that what your life might look like if you really just got your identity from Jesus if you really only cared about what Jesus thought of you because we all struggle with this (laughs) it's easy for me to stand up here and say it but it's always a struggle There's so many things that tug at us and pull us away from this. But even as Christians who are abiding in Christ, we get tied up with what other people think of us. But we don't live in condemnation, we live in freedom, right? We want to live the better way that Christ has for us. So, what is it for you this week? When you think about your life right now, uh, what is it? Are you a people pleaser? Are you feeling down because of what other people say about you? Are you reading negative comments online and internalizing those things, personalizing them? Are you so concerned with being successful at work that a failure to reach your goals is going to crush you? Are you staring in the mirror too much and comparing yourself to others? Give all of these things over to Jesus. Surrender them all to Jesus and say, God, would you help me? And then start to ask the Holy Spirit for help and let the Holy Spirit fill you and transform you to live the life in freedom that you have because you are saved, forgiven, righteous sons and daughters of the living God. Abiding in Christ is going to lead to much fruit in your life, loving God and loving others. And if you don't understand what that would look like, what it means to really trust in the Lord, to abide in Christ, if the idea of following Jesus is so foreign to you, because you think, I don't think Christ could ever love this, I just really encourage you to just really ponder these things, because as you look at your life, you know I'm right (laughs) in terms of all of these things that you put your identity and you get your identity from, any one of those things could be taken away from you and what it would do to the human soul to be crushed, to have their identity crushed. But Jesus is the better way. To love God and love others, I mean, imagine if the whole world was doing that well. It has impacted the world in a, in a huge way. It's no small thing that Christianity is what it is today across the, across the globe. But you have to repent of your own sin and you have to give that over to Jesus. You have to surrender that to him and let him have those parts of your life and replace it with himself. There's a verse in the book of Matthew where Jesus tells, tells his disciples, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is what it really comes down to. Following Jesus means that we leave all of those things that we cling to, we leave all that behind. All those things that we thought made us so important, we leave it behind. And we follow Christ taking up his, command, taking, taking up his commandments and we experience life to the full. Let's pray together. Father, would you be our center our cornerstone. Help us, God, to see our misplaced focus throughout the week and the times where we just get distracted with all of that. Father, would you build our life with Christ as the foundation? Continue to remind us of that foundation. Continue to help us to not get lost in that. God, thank you for grace, for the grace you have for us. Your love is just so deep. And help us to live as the chosen, free, redeemed, forgiven sons and daughters that we are. And give us the boldness to serve others, to love others, to grow more as you give us opportunity to do so. Don't let us be fearful of what it would mean to be more faithful. God, thank you so much. And thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. So that we can actually have that forgiveness and experience that forgiveness when we repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus And we trust in him for our forgiveness of our sins. And God, we pray you are glorified as we remember that wonderful gift as we enjoy the Lord's Supper together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.